Welcome to Astrophiles, where the universe is your playground and space is accessible to everyone. Welcome everyone to Astrophiles. This is our inaugural episode. We're super excited to be here. I'm your host, Mickey Nagus, and my co-host is Kimberly Pepper. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be back in the podcasting space. I'm so excited to ha- that you're, uh, you know, up for doing this podcast with me. I know, you know, we've um, interacted a bunch on each other's Instagrams, and it seemed like you were the perfect co-host for this because we're both really interested <laughs> in space. <laughs> yes, yes. And I like the idea of sort of just getting the information, condensing it down and, and delivering it to everybody. Sounds awesome. fun. I love that. I'm right there with you. Um, perfect. So since this is our first episode, um, do you want to introduce today's topic? Yes. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about the James Webb Space Telescope. Very, very interesting stuff. Insanely interesting. Lots, lots of work has gone into it. And hopefully it's going to lead to some great discoveries. I totally agree. It kind of already has, and it's only been up there for, what, eight months now? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Really cool to see. All right, so I'll just go ahead and talk a little bit about um, what the telescope is, what its purpose is, um, just in case a lot, you know, some people might not be familiar with it. So the James Webb Space Telescope um, was in development for a really, really long time, like 30 years, I believe. Um, and I think some of the the lead engineers on the program um you know, said it went, it, it was supposed to take half that long. <laughs> so it ran very, very far over schedule and budget. <laughs> um, and I think even it was maybe the chief engineer said, you know, we're sending a zillion dollar telescope into space and hope, hope it <laughs> or hurtling up into space and hope it unfolds itself um, correctly. An origami <laughs> telescope. <laughs> yes. um, a gazillion dollar piece of origami. <laughs> That they cannot go and fix. <laughs> yes, no stress, no pressure. Um, yeah, so let's see. It it launched last December on Christmas of 2021. Um, you know, as you mentioned this earlier before we started recording, but a great Christmas present for everyone on the program. And oh it, yes, <laughs> it took about six months to travel to its uh, destination, position itself, and get set up. Um, all of the setup processes are super, super specific and everything has to go off without a hitch or else, um, you know, it, it is basically space garbage. So that went well. Um, it took about six months again, you know, to get out there, get everything set up, get going. And I originally was picturing this to be maybe in low earth orbit or maybe up by the moon or something. And just for reference, the moon is a little over 200,000 miles away from earth. Um, So that's what I was picturing in my head, but it is not there. It's in fact, much, much farther. It's at Lagrange point two, which is about uh, 1 million miles away from earth. And at that point in space, um, the telescope can uh, basically stay in orbit around the sun in line with earth. Um, so it's always staying in aligned in alignment with earth while earth and the telescope orbit the sun, but there's a million miles of space in between us and the telescope. 
um, which is pretty wild. I, again, I was just picturing it to be kind of nearby and it is nowhere near us whatsoever. <laughs> um, no, yeah. that's why it was just so important to get it right too. And I think that's why it took so much time because they just absolutely had to get it right. Totally. No, yeah, very everything again, right, it had to be perfect. <laughs> and any tiny little issue could potentially have derailed the entire mission. Um, on that note, it's kind of a good segue. Do you want to cover a little bit more about what the mission is specifically? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I was actually um, up today early this morning, kind of watching documentaries about it and checking everything out. And um, so what it does, it builds on the Kepler and Hubble telescope and, and what happened with those previously, which were huge jumps, huge, huge jumps. And we were able to see things that, you know, just looked like dead space to us before, which is crazy to me because, <laughs> because it just shows you, you know, what we can't see with our own naked eye, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. And then it just kind of makes you feel like, everything around you is like alive and and there's just so much right right so. I mean, empty space doesn't really mean anything because even what appears <laughs> to be empty is actually not empty at all even if it's you know there there might be empty space and and you get one of these high-tech telescopes looking at it and you find a bunch of new stuff out there new stars new galaxies or it in fact looks dark but it's uh, or rather it looks at, like empty space, but maybe there's dark matter there. So it's pretty wild what we're able to, um, you know, learn about the universe through these new technologies. Yeah. And with the Hubble telescope, they pointed it at this dark space. And um, actually a lot of other people who were working with these people who pointed it there at dark space, they're like, what are you doing? This is a waste of time. But then it turned out to show that there were tons of galaxies that they saw. So uh, I bet that was very satisfying for them because I know if it were me, I'd be like, aha. <laughs> 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 and I bet it was so exciting and I bet it just made their day. But also, you know, that at that moment was very, very satisfying. Um, so yeah, and then um, another part of its mission is understanding the rate of uh, expansion in the universe, which is really amazing. Totally just to understand crazy. that <laughs> yeah it's it's wild right we know there's this constant constant rate of expansion but we don't know exactly what it is or if it truly is a constant right or if you know since the big bang happened um to now has it been increasing has the rate you know been slightly increasing or, or decreasing and all of that will tell us if the universe is getting hotter and so things are moving faster or if it's cooling and things are getting slower um, or if it's doing neither of those things and expanding at a constant rate, all three of those scenarios have huge, huge implications for how we understand physics and astrophysics. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an exciting time to be alive because uh, you can go back to ancient Greece where they tracked things about our planet using shadows and now we're tracking light. And it's just amazing because it's actually not that I know it's ancient Greece, but it's not actually tons and tons of time to figure out all this complicated stuff. So it's really exciting to be alive right now. I completely agree. It'll be amazing to see what the telescope uh, tells us about the universe we're a part of. Yeah, because then we can actually, it's like a time machine. It's like we're traveling back in time and we get to 
see uh, these galaxies and it's just amazing to me I, to me it's the most exciting thing there's not a lot of people that seem as excited about it as me but <laughs> I'm an optimist <laughs> and I'm sure we'll find out so I think it's just really going to revolutionize physics I mean it has to because it'll just give us a broader understanding of ourselves really I totally agree. And I guess to that point, this is definitely a safe place for the people who get really jazzed about this stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Definitely. If you're like that, definitely subscribe. <laughs> yeah, this is the <laughs> podcast for you. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. So, um, you know, I know already uh, we've seen, you know, if anyone's kind of plugged into the space community on Instagram or other social media platforms, we've seen um, some of these images that the the James Webb Space Telescope has already produced of, um, you know, improved images of galaxies that the Hubble discovered, as well as discovering some new galaxies um, that we didn't know about, which is pretty wild. And I think what's been the most amazing thing so far in my mind is looking back in time, like you're saying, this is a time machine. And so um, I think it's discovered already, it's broken the record for discovering the two um, oldest galaxies that we've seen. And those dated back into that, um, the time, the time frame of 50 to 500 million years after the Big Bang which sounds like a lot of time, 500 million years sounds like an incredible incomprehensible period of time but given that the universe is 13.7 almost 13.8 billion years old 50 to 500 million years is really not much in that in that bigger um on the bigger timeline and so if we could potentially use this telescope to see back to 50 million years after the big bang we would really literally be seeing those the early formation of, of the universe, of these early baby galaxies um, that were the first to be born um, or take shape after the Big Bang happened, that will give us so much insight into what the Big Bang even was and how it worked. Because to be honest, you know, physics breaks down when we get to a certain point tracing back to the Big Bang, like physics doesn't work when we get to the point of singularity, um, which is crazy. It's like, we still don't even really know how that worked. So I feel like this yeah. will, will tell us a lot about how it worked. And that's why it's so, it's so important. I don't think people understand the gravity of it. It's not just a glorified uh, camera. It's, it's yeah. something that provides invaluable information, really. So I, I'm just really excited about it to see what what we find out. And I bet you it's not going to take long to find out even more. Totally. Yeah, I agree. It'll be cool to see how it unfolds. Um, oh, that's kind of a, a fun segue unfolds into how this telescope works, how it set itself up or, um, you know, some of the engineering challenges that um, the space community faced putting this huge project together. So I know I know you have some thoughts on on the giant piece of origami <laughs> that we stuck on a rocket and <laughs> a million miles away from us. <laughs> um, Definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think, um, yeah. Do you want to talk about the, the telescope, the size of it, or or the sun shield? The sun shield is what really amazes me more than anything. It's the size of a, of a 
a tennis court. So it's just the whole thing is massive and then it folds. It's literally the origami telescope. And then it, so it's just this whole masterful creation that's just folding, unfolding, traveling to new places. So I, I'm envious of it. <laughs> I would like to do that myself. But, um, uh, you know, it has to have these these mirrors and um, it has to stay away from radiation sources on Earth. It needs to be very cold. Like everything is very precise on it. It's it's just a feat of engineering. It's really amazing. Well, it, it's interesting to me, right? So it, again, kind of that earlier comment, everything had to, had to work perfectly. That dang sun shield seems like whoever the engineers were for that must have been sweating during the, you know, the first six <laughs> months after, after launch while it was getting itself set up because so not only is it a tennis, a tennis court size piece of origami, but it was also kind of a fabric-y material. So it's not like something more rigid, like paper that folds in known ways, like on unknown, if you bend a piece of paper in half, you kind of know where it's going to fold itself. Um, but think of trying to fold a shirt <laughs> does not work the same way with fabric. And yeah. so they had to, there were a lot of unknowns or a lot of uncertainty kind of baked into how that thing would work <laughs> um, in reality. The anxiety. A lot of risk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You imagine, I mean, you would have the constant, you'd have to do something to take your mind off of it while it's <laughs> going through its test. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, for the engineers, well, the launch was, you know, that's what's kind of was most exciting initially for regular, you know, regular citizens. But I think for that team, they're like, whatever, the launch isn't even important. It's when it starts setting itself up <laughs> that they would be the most stressed out. <laughs> yeah, so much money, so much time. I would not want that stress. That's for yeah. sure. I admire yeah. it, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned really the has to be precise. Oh yeah, super precise. Um, so I was reading this article about the mirrors um, on the telescope and they had to be perfectly smooth. So even creating that mirror material was a huge feat in and of itself. So if you were to, so I don't remember exactly how big the mirrors are, they're huge, but if let's say you scaled them up to the size of a continent, like the size of the United States, they would have to be, if it was the size of the United States, the tallest, um, like change in elevation across the whole U S could only go up to your ankle. Like that's how little variation they were allowed to have on the surface of the mirror. So again, if it was U S size, couldn't deviate more than, more than maybe two or three inches. And so when you look at these mirrors again, on the actual, um, telescope, they would have had, they would have been virtually perfectly smooth. Uh, otherwise they wouldn't work, which is crazy to me. Any kind of, you know, complicated production techniques with, you know, hard, hard to manufacture materials impresses me. Um, cause there's so, usually a lot of variation in those process, like manufacturing processes. So I I'm personally very impressed with how smooth they made the mirrors. Yeah. And then, um, they're golden mirrors. So <laughs> they're also very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> very on trend right now <laughs> yeah yeah 
<laughs> I just, I always think about like aliens who might encounter our technology and I, I wonder what they would think about it. Because <laughs> obviously like blood, sweat and tears have gone into this. And I always wonder like if they came across it, what they would think. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're super impressed by it, but they'd be like, Oh, isn't that cute? Little Jimmy made a, <laughs> made a toy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Because I feel like, yeah, that would probably be the case. But, but yeah, they're golden mirrors. It, mm. it was uh, to improve the reflection of infrared light. So. Yeah. So the, the heat shield, right. That was, that's the part. So I guess the whole question, why did we even have to launch this thing anyway? Why couldn't we have just built it on earth? That would have been highly convenient. Well, so this also blows my mind as other planets and galaxies are, are rushing, you know, everything in space kind of is rushing outward um, due to the effects of the big bang, right? Everything kind of bursts outward from a central point. And so everything has continued expanding outward, um, even, you know, 13.8, almost 14 billion years later, we're still moving constantly outward. And so when we look for planets, um, or galaxy stars that are moving away from us, they're moving away at such a high rate of speed that the light emitting from them actually, shifts on the spectrum. And so when a, an object's moving towards us very quickly, it's called blue shifting where it, um, the, the wavelengths um, move to the blue end of the color spectrum. And for these objects that are moving very at high rates of speed away from us, they, they redshift. So they, the light literally looks red and we know that it's an object moving away from us. So when you look at those pictures on Instagram of all the galaxies together, the red ones are moving away from us very, very quickly. <laughs> um, so it's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, so that's a, a big, a big part of why we couldn't have built the telescope on earth um, is because these, the light has redshifted to infrared radiation and there's tons of background in cosmic radiation. Um, like human beings emit a low level of radiation, the earth does from the crust or the core, the sun obviously is emitting radiation. So we had to actually get it off earth and very far a million miles away from earth and set up a gigantic origami sun shield to um, protect it from yes. the sun just to get a picture, an accurate picture of these old galaxies. Like that's pretty incredible to me. It's impressive. I really, that's what I love about the human spirit because it's like we've we've just been looking to the stars for as long as everything's been recorded and and I really do think that it teaches us a lot about ourselves as well so I think there's such a connection you know we are part of the universe and and I think the more connected we can feel to it and the more we can understand it the more we can understand about ourselves and and everything really yeah that's very true. And I think, you know, the telescope is also looking for Earth-like planets in other galaxies. And so if we see planets in a habitable zone in some other galaxy, the information we can collect, you know, via this telescope, I think will also tell us more about our own planet, right? Like how similar does another planet have to be, um, you know, to potentially support not even just life, but just water, liquid water, oxygen. Um, I think that would be very interesting. Uh, it'll tell us kind of more about how our own 
solar system came to be and earth came to be by looking at these other similar planets well yeah and there are some uh exoplanets it's called the trappist one and then um james webb has taken a look at it as well as uh kepler and hubble and there are a few planets if i'm not mistaken that they said could be habitable and they're only 40 light years away from earth so that's really exciting it's not actually very far yeah, that's really close. Even Proxima Centauri, there's Proxima B in that um in that uh galaxy. Or yeah, and I think it's only four, four and a half light years. No, that's oh that's really even close. better. I think it's very close. <laughs> <laughs> like it's really nearby. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, even that's one that, you know, it would be hard for us to reach that even in our lifetime, but certainly within a few generations, we could send some kind of probe or, you know, something there to give us some insight, but maybe they'll point the James Webb at it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it would just be great if we got one day to, you know, travel through space the way that we just travel the planet. And that's, you know, I know it's not going to happen in my lifetime necessarily, but it would just be great for humanity, I think. I agree. Yeah, I know a lot of people, um, you know, we sh- say we should invest these resources on Earth, um, like the money and and labor spent developing the telescope. I definitely feel like we should invest money in both places, you know, like it's yeah. obviously taking care of the home we have now is critical. Taking care of the people we have on our planet now is is absolutely critical. But it's sort of like the long, in that long strategic big picture view, we do need answers to these questions. It'll help us understand, you know, what if we find a planet that has some resource on it or has developed some kind of self-sustaining ecosystem? We could learn something from that that we couldn't dream up or, you know, without having that outside reference. Definitely. And we can do both. I hate when people do the if then fallacy right like it has to be this or it has to be that yeah and I'm like wait that doesn't even actually make sense but yes (laughs) I do agree like the billionaires I'm not sure they need to like be joy rotting joy rotting like going on these million dollar like whatever space space trips for fun like certainly those resources we could spend doing something (laughs) they should read some history books because that's how it starts just saying (laughs) (laughs) I'll let them eat cake mentality If I was a billionaire, there's no way I would be flaunting anything. I would not be in the public eye. No, no, no. I think they're very unwise. (laughs) History has taught us what happens. (laughs) Yeah. When you, you can only anger the masses so long before they do something without it. Yeah. (laughs) And they riot at soccer games. They're not hard to push. So yeah, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Oh man. All right. So uh, this is the end of our first episode and we're going to, we're going to wrap it up with um, some weird, but true science facts. So we'll, we'll try to keep this format for all our future episodes as well, uh, where we'll cover five weird, but true things going on in space. Um, So I'll kick us off. Um, One of my favorite facts that's weird, but true is that there is a black hole at the center of every known galaxy in the universe. 
which I think is wild. Definitely. And creepy at the same time. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. totally. All right. So the Hubble telescope spotted a spooky looking face in the middle of nowhere, basically. (laughs) And it looks like two glowing eyes. And then it's outlined by blue stars and the glowing eyes uh, each represent the center of the galaxy. And so it's just this cool, creepy galaxy that you have to totally Google. I will definitely be looking that up. (laughs) That sounds really (laughs) scary and cool. (laughs) So sometimes you can see the Andromeda galaxy uh, without using a telescope, just with the naked eye. And on those days when you're seeing that galaxy with your eyeball, you're actually seeing 2.5 million light years away without the use of any kind of technology, just your just your eyes. Which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So there are more trees on Earth than stars in the Milky Way galaxy. There are 3 trillion trees on Earth, which is crazy to me. So, especially like thinking of how many cities there are and with deforestation and stuff it's it's pretty interesting to think there's still that many trees here yeah cool all right I'll take the last one um so on a different note there are for each grain of sand on earth there are 10,000 stars in the universe which is a lot of stars <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and even more trees, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of grains of sand, way more stars, but even more trees. <laughs> yeah. So Earth wins. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a lot of fun, and I hope you guys join us for our next episode. Yes. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for doing this with me. I'm so excited that we've started this podcast, and I really look forward to doing the next episode. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Astrophiles. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at astrophiles underscore podcast, at Kimberly1985, and at Mickey Negus. We'll catch you next time, but until then, don't let gravity get you down.